Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. We have an extra special guest this week in Eric Rosa, the CEO and owner of CrossFit. Eric has been a fixture in Colorado Tech for the last 15 years. Before buying CrossFit last year, he was the CEO of Datalogix, one of the first tech unicorns in Colorado, which he sold to Oracle in 2014 for over a billion dollars. He's involved in a ton of other interesting stuff in the community as well. He's also an executive in residence at General Catalyst and an advisor to us at Range Ventures. But even more impressive than his laundry list of accomplishments is Eric's humility and transparency, as you'll hear as he shares his biggest lesson. Eric, uh, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, you've been in the news a lot for, for CrossFit. Love to hear a little bit about your background and uh, how you came to be doing what you're doing right now. Where would you like me to start? <laughs> a long and storied history, huh? Uh, you know, wh- why don't you start uh, a little bit? Where, where'd you grow up and then, you know, how'd you make your way into the tech world? Do you want to go that back, that far back? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I grew, yeah. Up, uh, I grew up kind of uh, two different locations, Philadelphia suburbs and uh, Grenoble, France. And I had uh, multicultural parents, I guess. And so kind of went back and forth between the two, which gave me kind of, a, I guess, a cosmopolitan outlook from an early age. Was, a, uh, was kind of a quant guy. So I was always drawn towards math and data and analytics and stats and that kind of stuff. I ended up being an econ major at University of Michigan. And um, they went into management consulting and then uh, ultimately into tech. So where did you start in tech and, and then, you know, connect the dots to that well-known for Datalogix, obviously one of the biggest uh, tech exits in, in Colorado and, and then now CrossFit? Yeah, well, the, the tech thing was actually a little bit accidental. I was working in the music industry and I got put on this project for this new um, internal information system. And I was doing strategy and planning and M&A. And I got asked to do this internal project working with the... Uh, working with the IT group and this is in the nineties and this, it just wasn't that sexy to be in New York in the music industry doing something like an internal information system instead of doing some big deal. And I found immediate, so I was kind of kicking and screaming, getting involved in it, but I found immediately that I loved it. And I was, uh, I was kind of wired for product management. You know, I had no mentorship, but a lot of things, a lot of, you know, like the concept of a minimum viable product, they were kind of innate to me. And so I was able to get this project that was kind of mired in bureaucracy and, and uh, scope creep and stuff and kind of get it on track. And I was like, wow, this is really cool stuff. And so I went to, uh, went to business school, ended up in the Bay Area in the, uh, the mid-90s, um, in the middle of obviously the, the 1.0 of the internet and kind of got into tech stuff. And then flash forward about, about 10 years and... I got introduced to a small uh, company that was doing analytics for catalog companies, helping them decide where to mail catalogs. And they had amassed this amazing data set um, that kind of showed what almost every household in the U.S. was buying from about a thousand different specialty retailers. And that was the beginning of the Datalogic story. How long were you there for and, and how did you end up selling to Oracle? Yeah. Well, in one guise or another for about 12 years. And so, but it was in multiple incarnations. The company was initially called Next Action. 
And then when I became CEO, we recapitalized it and became Data Logics. By now, we're in the fall of 2009. So I started in January of 2007. Yeah, that's right, the fall of 2009. And then we sold it to Oracle in January of 2014, about five years later. So you sell to Oracle, you try the big company, company environment, how'd that go? Well, it, you know, judging by the tenure, it actually went pretty well. I, I, was, uh, I remember going out to dinner with a buddy of mine and I told him that we had sold the company and he said, well, how long is your retention period? And I said, it's two years. And he said, you're going to be gone in 366 days. And I said, well, where do you get that? He said, you're going to get that first payment and say, there's no way in hell I can endure another year of suffering. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe you're right. And then I got very different advice from a little more sage advice from my uh, executive coach. And he said, why don't you just keep an open mind and see how things go instead of being um, kind of anchored to some concept that you're not going to like it or you're not going to be good at it or just because other CEOs who sold their companies were miserable, you will be. And that proved to be really good advice. So I ended up staying four and a half years and it was, you know, it was frustrating at times and it was challenging to not be the CEO anymore and to have to compromise on things that I, where I really thought I should be able to make the call. But I have to say, I learned a ton. Um, we had a lot of fun. Um, the, the company quadrupled during that time. So that was, you know, there was just a lot of learning and a lot of overseas expansion and um, some really interesting M&A that we were able to do that we weren't able to do as the independent company. So it was a, it was a really good run, um, but all things must, uh, must end. Well, I think maybe there's a common thread here, Eric, that brings us to CrossFit, which is you just have a really high pain threshold. That might be the, <laughs> that might be the case. <laughs> well, so, so, so I know, you know you've been involved in CrossFit for a long time, and you don't have to tell the whole story, but, but how did you end up owning it, running it, and, and how are things going? Yeah, so I, the kind of high-level points are about 12 years ago, I, I tried CrossFit for the first time after a lifetime of being really kind of obsessed with fitness and working out. Fell in love with it right away. Um, within about a year, had you know a lot of people at my company doing it. We had ultimately built out a CrossFit gym in the office. And then um, was talking to a friend one day and and he kind of asked me, well, if you could do anything, what would it be? I had told him, look, I'm running this company focused in digital advertising, but I don't think this is it for me. I don't think um, I ultimately don't have I have passion for what I'm doing, but I don't really have passion for the industry that I'm in. And I find my passion around this in other ways. And he said, well, what, what would you do if you could do anything? I said, I think it's I said, it sounds crazy, but I think I would run CrossFit. And so that the the seeds were kind of planted and put out there in the universe about nine years ago. And, but I was obviously otherwise engaged at the time and CrossFit wasn't for sale. And so um, instead I, we, I kind of did a side side hustle of opening up a CrossFit gym with my then wife, Melissa, and um, which is CrossFit Sinitas in Boulder. Um, and that was about eight and a half years ago. And then I guess just bided my time when I left Oracle a couple of years ago I started to spend more and more time just uh, thinking about investing in, advising in the world of health and the world of performance. And I just kind of talked about this as my health and happiness theme and got kind of more and more immersed in it as an investor and um, joined a couple boards and so on in the space. But I'm really made to be an operator and I, I kind of know that deep down. And so I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I knew 
I had been approached by a number of SaaS businesses to run them, and I just wasn't getting excited about any of that um, anymore. That was kind of, for me, it was kind of in the past. And um, I got really fired up about the notion of uh, operating full-time in the health and wellness space, but I didn't know what that meant. And then um, CrossFit got into some real challenges in uh, last summer, and I saw an opportunity and, and got put in touch with the founder, and, and he agreed to sell me the business in late June last year. Eric, you know, before we transition to talking about Denver and your biggest lesson, I, I think for anyone who's listening, um, and also as a personal person who's done a lot of CrossFit, what's your favorite wad? Ah, get right into it. I, I have no idea what you're, you guys are even talking about, so I'll let you just see. <laughs> Adam, I'll, I'll fill you in after this, and then okay. we'll make you do it next time we get yeah, together. Yeah, I'll only tell you if you force Adam to do it. Um, Absolutely. You know, I have to say, I'm a, just to name a big wad that everybody knows, I, I really enjoy Murph. Adam, so Murph, just so you know, is you run a mile and then you have to do 300 squats, 200 push-ups, 100 pull-ups that you can break up as you would like, and then run a mile wearing a 20-pound weighted vest. So I think back to your comment about uh, Eric loving pain, uh, that's exactly spot on. But uh, Something I, I will never do, but that sounds fun. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, <laughs> Eric, thanks for that. So Eric, you know, you've been in, in sort of the Denver-Boulder ecosystem for, you know, almost two decades now. would love to hear your thoughts on, on how it's evolved and what you're really excited about now here. It's unbelievable the, the scale of what's happening here relative to uh, what it looked like 15 years ago when, uh, when I moved here. I mean, there really were kind of a handful at that point of interesting tech companies. Like, I don't think that's a, that's, I don't think that's an understatement. I think it was a handful. And Denver in particular, there was virtually nothing going on. You know, there were a few things in Boulder, almost nothing in Denver. And now obviously Denver, it pains me as a, as a Boulder native, but there's obviously a ton more <laughs> scaling in, going on in Denver now than in Boulder, which makes sense given relative populations and so on. So I think that, you know, the combination of, of kind of big tech moving into, uh, moving into this area and then bringing people with it who are vibrant and so on, the combination of, you know, companies, including Datalogix, obviously, that hired a lot of people, brought them into the market and, um, and got, and then a lot of those people have started and joined other companies. But I, this has so clearly become one of the top markets in the country for entrepreneurship. And I, I know that was the thesis with, with range and I'm not here to give a range in far be it for me to give a range infomercial, but I think you, you know, you guys, your timing was, was spot on, I think, because even the momentum and the number of, you know, Colorado unicorns, et cetera, et cetera, since, uh, since range announced its founding is, is, uh, is kind of quite remarkable. Chris, sorry, most recently as we speak, the uh, $3.4 billion IPO of Evercommerce last week. Yep. Another great example, right? And then we had Inspirato announced earlier this week, right? With a, a billion plus exit through a SPAC. And it, it's, it's unbelievable what's happening from a late stage capital and exit perspective here. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So Eric, you know, if, do you think there's one or two specific things that is fueling this growth of the ecosystem over the last few years in particular? I mean, one is just the sheer momentum. We, you know, Denver and Boulder are just such great place and, you know, all of Colorado is such a great place to live. And I always, 
I, when I when I moved here, and I hadn't know, I wouldn't have known much about Colorado being a bit of a coastal snob, you know, having spent most of my life on the east and west coast previously. Um, if I hadn't married a native Coloradan, and I just I, when I moved here, I was like, man, nobody really. They, you know, they may come to ski, but they don't really realize how great the living is here. So I think you had you had just some arbitrage there, and I think as as the talent pool swelled here. And, um, you know, and it became just so unbearable to start businesses <laughs> in the Bay Area and so on for so many people. I just think the confluence of all those things together really uh, played to played to Colorado has played to Colorado's benefit. And I don't think I don't think we're really capped on the uh, on the upside here. I just think it's I think the the number of great companies and the scale of outcomes that is possible is going to continue to accelerate. I think there's, there's a point at which you just get momentum and the ball gets rolling. When I, I'll give you like a little anecdote. We brought in, uh, I'll, I'll name names here too, um, just for fun, just cause he's a friend of mine. So we brought in IVP, um, as, as an investor to lead our growth round at data logics and IVP is sure most of your listeners know is one of the top uh, growth equity firms in in the country and you know it's had something like 130 IPOs now and um, we had a we had a closing dinner and so the IVP guys came in and we had it in Broomfield at a now defunct restaurant and um, one of the IVP partners a great guy Samesh Dash had this incredibly offensive comment without realizing it where he said he came in he's like after the dinner he goes god I met your team and it was it was unbelievable. I mean, we could have been we could have been at dinner in the Bay Area, you know. That was like the comment. Like, what a shock <laughs> that these rubes in Colorado actually. And um, and uh, it was like, it, and it was innocent, innocently intended as a compliment, right? And I was I was still, you know, within my first three years or so, or five years in Colorado, and um, I was like, wow. And I was like, I would be more offended if I hadn't thought that way myself. And now it's not even thinkable that anybody would would have that point of view. You know what I mean? Yep, that makes complete sense. You know, I look at the ecosystem similarly to I think you see a lot of late stage growth companies. You just get the momentum and the scale, and then it's then it's off to the races. And I think we've finally reached that point in Colorado that we've got scale and we've got momentum. And to your point, I think the sky's the limit as to what we can do with this ecosystem here. I think confidence and expectations continue to build. You know, the, the number of people around for peer mentorship who have been there and done it is just, you know, dramatically different than it, than it was 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago even. Yeah, I think, Eric, a lot of this is about role models and ambition, right? And I think when you didn't have anybody to look up to that had actually built a billion dollar company, it was harder for entrepreneurs here to imagine how to go do it, right? And that it was even possible. And, and now I think people have got a taste of it and, and they're not willing to settle for anything less. Yeah, I mean, one. I think one of the challenges that we have as a market is that the um, you know kind of the academic partnership you don't see in the tech world a lot of great exits yet that have you know that have come out of CU and DU and CSU et cetera. Um, so we don't have that lift that you have in the Bay Area and in Austin and other markets, uh, Boston et cetera, New York et cetera. So we're kind of doing it without the local institutions, not saying that they're not contributing talent, but they're not being kind of started while people in school, they're the, the big ones yet anyway. So Eric, let's get to why we're here today. So, you know, I'm sure over the career that you've had, you've learned many different lessons through the different roles at Datalogics and now as CEO. 
at CrossFit, but we want to hear what your biggest lesson is and how you learned it. Yeah. Well, I've, uh, I've learned definitely a few things along the way. I think the, the biggest lesson is to, is for me has been to play my own game. And, um, you know, when I, whenever I do something, because I think, and Adam and I were just talking about this the other day, when I do something, when I get distracted by what other people are doing and I feel like, oh, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. It never gets me to the right answer ever. And when I kind of follow, you know, my intuition and my passion, it doesn't always, but it often puts me in the direction of, you know, of doing what is going to make me kind of happier and more contributory on this planet. So I think, I mean, I hope that doesn't sound like a platitude because I, it's been said, you know, before by, you know, more eloquently than I could say it. But for me, that's been the most transformative thing is to just you know, have, have some trust in my own internal compass that it's going to lead me in the right direction. Cause you know, there's no question that the, uh, you know, the career path for somebody at my age, et cetera, has been unconventional the last couple of years, but I'm convinced it was the right thing. And I think in some ways my, my prior experience did set me up for what I'm doing right now, although it's not immediately obvious maybe in looking at it. Do you have some examples of when you didn't trust yourself or you sort of did what everyone else was doing that, that led you astray? And how did you correct those? I think it's been more about making my, giving myself um, a little bit of misery for second guessing things and going, you know, why, you know, an example would be after I left Oracle, well, even let's even take being at, staying at Oracle as long as I did and having friends or whoever say, I can't, dude, I can't believe you're still there. Well, how does that make you feel over time? And you're like, wow, am I doing something wrong? Every other CEO is miserable and leaves, you know, embittered within a year or two. I didn't do that. Is there something wrong with me? Am I too complacent? Should I be embarrassed that I stayed that long versus, wow, this is a, you know, an unusual circumstance, but it actually works out. So, you know, that would probably be one example. Another example, I'm, I'm thinking of recent examples because, you know, these lessons, you tend to have to learn them a few times. I think when I was getting calls for um, growth stage um, SaaS, SaaS leadership gigs um, while I was at Oracle, um, and I really, really was uninterested in them. Um, you know, there are probably, you know, a dozen or so that came my way, only, only probably one or two that got into serious conversations. But um, I, I was thinking, man, is there something wrong with me that, I'm not excited by these opportunities. You know, they sound good. They sound great financially and from a prestige standpoint. And I just, they're leaving me cold right now. And it just, it wasn't the right thing for me anymore, you know, and, but it didn't mean that I didn't feel self-conscious. I thought something was wrong with me that I wasn't excited about them. Like, dude, you may be washed up. Like if you, if you can't get excited about this, you know, what's the matter with you kind of. I had a very similar experience, not at the same scale, but you know, when I was at BCG, every single one of my associate classmates left to go do private equity, right? And we're going to these big name firms and these prestigious firms. And I was just super happy where I was there. And I went through the motions of interviewing before I decided to stay because I was happy. But, but the entire time I was like, you know, did, is there something wrong with me that I'm, I'm staying and happy doing this and everyone else has, has bailed? Right. Yeah, it, took yeah, yeah. To, it took some time to trust that that was the right decision. 
Yep. You know, for me at the end of the day. And I, I think very early in my career, I second guessed that a bunch, but it sounds like that's something you, you've learned and really leaned into at this point. Yeah. And I think part of that has been the um, another big lesson or a related lesson has been the approach to decision making. And get it's because I've always been kind of a mathy guy, I felt like I should be really analytical about my decision making. And what I've realized, I mean, when presented with the evidence over time, so here's where I'll get analytical about, about this, um, is the evidence overwhelmingly has favored intuition in making the biggest decisions in my life, just overwhelmingly. And, you know, whether whatever you want to attribute that to, I I'd finally at some point I had to accept, and it's really happened, I think, in earnest in the last five years, that I actually make my most important decisions with a lot of intuition playing in, you know, more so than the analytical side. And for me, that may not work for everybody, but for me, that has worked pretty well. And it, and again, that's, um, I could be self-conscious about that because what's a quant guy doing, you know, making these decisions intuitively, but it seems to be the right answer for me. And I don't think, um, I don't think, uh, you know, an analytical approach would have had me you know, kind of pursue CrossFit at this point, or maybe any full-time gig. Um, but, but certainly given that CrossFit was pretty embattled at the time, there was, you know, arguably a lot, probably inarguably a lot of risk for um, that, that it was, uh, that it would have been hard, a hard business to turn around at the point where it was in the middle of COVID and, and with some of their own self-inflicted wounds. And so, um, but I, you know, I intuitively, I didn't go to somebody else for for counsel on that. I just intuitively knew it was the right move and that I had to do it kind of. Yeah. I think Eric, it's, it's interesting. I, I couldn't relate more. I think people that are wired as we generally are similarly, they're analytical, uh, you know, self-motivated. This is something we always tend to overthink those decisions. I, I was given a, a piece of advice a long time ago that, that's similar to what you're talking about. It said, when you're faced with big decisions, do whatever sounds good at the time. And I was like, that's it. What do you mean? Dude, that's it. What about all the other things you got to consider? No, right? <laughs> if it sounds good, trust yourself, it'll work out. Eric, have you seen other, you know, either in yourself or other people, times where they didn't trust themselves and, and kind of, you know, where, where that leads people? Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a sad, like, <laughs> be too harsh, but it's a kind of sad and empty way to go through life if you're, trusting other what other people say more than you trust yourself right i mean there's just something that's ultimately not satisfying there and you have to wonder what is your goal is it to please and impress the other people or is it to live a life well lived right so um i don't know man i i i don't i would certainly it paradoxically i would advise somebody very strongly not to follow someone else's advice but then i would obviously be the one advising them that so they should ignore me if that you know but I, yeah i i um I'll, I'll tell you that I'll, let me give you another example where something happened around this i was uh earlier in my career i was probably about 30 and um i had a a boss who was kind of much 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 more senior and um further along in his career than me probably 30 years further along 20 years further along and had been really successful financially and he kind of, he had just come into the business and he asked me, this is my first job after business school. I was a few years into it. And he said, 
Eric, what he said, I'm having a hard time pinning you down functionally. Like where, how do I think about you? And the answer was, I'm a generalist, you know, so it's not surprising. It's hard to pin me down. You know, I'm kind of a product guy, but I came out of kind of being, a, you know, an analyst and now I'm doing some BD and partner management. And the answer, there wasn't a crisp answer. And so I fumbled the answer a bit and he said, man, he goes, I got to give you advice. You're going to be in trouble. Like you're getting to a point where you really need to be specialized and looked at, looked at as being an expert at something or it's really going to cap you out in your career. And that really bummed me out. And I thought about it. And I'm like, that's bullshit. That is his storyline. You know, I want to be a general manager. And I think, you know, being, being um, somewhat deep in a number of areas, even at the expense of being as deep as other people are in one, doesn't mean you're a master of no trades, right? It, 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 it means something different. It means you probably could scale well across them. So that was another example where kind of ignoring advice was was helpful. Eric, uh, last question for you would really just be around anything that you know you can give to people who are maybe a little bit earlier in, in their career, tactical ways to make sure that that they can um, you know trust themselves when maybe they're not so sure of themselves because other people who are more experienced, more accomplished than they are, are telling them what to do. Well, I think a couple things. I think that. Um, I'm not a big believer in in kind of masochism and all you know CrossFit to the contrary maybe, but um, and you know this notion that you have to pay your dues for a number of years and be in a you know an unhappy situation. So I think part of part of what you want to look at is, is are you actually enjoying yourself and working with people that you want to work with and and so on. So I think that's one big thing. That's always an acid test independent of anything else. Are you excited when you're going into work in the morning? Maybe not every day, but, you know, both, you know, go for four out of five days or at least three out of five. Um, and then the other one is to just make sure you're learning a lot. There are just such exponential returns on learning early on and, and then continuing that learning curve. I just think as soon as you, um, as soon as that learning curve starts to flatten out, it's incumbent on you to figure out a way to steepen it again. And you can get, if you stay in the flat zone for too long, I think you can get pretty complacent and pretty, um, uh, pretty uninspired over time. So, I, and I don't think you can, um, you can wait for anybody else. The other thing I always advise people earlier in their careers is meet your, meet your company, meet your employer 51% of the way, meaning don't, don't rely on them to um, to chart this great career path for you, et cetera. I mean, if you're in a really structured environment like a consulting firm or an investment bank you may or a management training program at Procter & Gamble or something, you may see that. But in the tech worlds we, we inhabit, there isn't a master plan. There's just a bunch of people bungling around kind of. And so I think no matter how early you are in your career, you've really got to be the one to shape it and, and ask for, you know, ask for opportunities and let people know um, what your goals are and so on. Because I don't think those opportunities will be always handed to you um, just because you're doing a good job where you are. Eric, awesome advice across the board. Uh, really, really, really appreciate it. And we're super excited to follow what you do at, at CrossFit. Where can folks that are listening follow you, track your progress and, and get in touch? I think the best way to track what's going on with CrossFit is we send out a free uh, newsletter every day called the email of the day, the EOD. And so I think signing up for that is a great way to stay abreast of what's going on in the world of CrossFit, everything from the, the sport to the business itself. Um, 
I'm not a big, uh, not a massive social media guy, but you can, you can also find me on Instagram and LinkedIn and stuff. Those are probably the two I, I use the most. Great. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. 